TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. As California continues battling the homelessness crisis, could San Jose have hit on a strategy that's actually working? Well, let's take a closer look. Over the past several years, the city has been aggressively expanding its shelter space, using quick-build modular construction techniques to keep costs low and construction time short. Since the start of the pandemic, it's opened up six new interim housing sites, bringing with them hundreds of new beds and wraparound services to help stabilize people coming off the street. And now, the city is on something of a winning streak. After watching its homeless population expand for the better part of a decade, the recent tally shows that for the second year in a row, the numbers are actually now going down. And Mayor Matt Mahan says all the extra shelter space has played a central role in this turnaround. Still, even as he's been making the case that the city should be doubling down on this approach, many homeless advocates and experts are pushing back. Their fear? That all this investment in new shelters will crowd out the other ingredient that's needed to end the homelessness crisis. That is, affordable housing. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we are going to try to open up a debate that's been raging in San Jose and many other cities throughout California as well, as the state has ramped up new shelter projects over the past few years. On the one hand, you have those who say that to deal with the crisis on our streets, we need to rapidly expand shelter space and get people under a roof and stabilized as quickly as possible. Others, though, argue that while, yes, interim housing has a role to play, ultimately, temporary shelters are just a temporary fix, and they do not get us any closer to ending the homelessness crisis. The only long-term solution, these critics say, is investing in more affordable housing. Now, making this even more complicated, there is a lot of gray area here. Both sides acknowledge it's not an either-or. We need some of both. So it's really a question of how much. How much can we afford to give to one, and how much can we afford to give to the other? And so given all this complexity and admittedly wonky detail, 
I do want to say from the outset, dear listeners, that I recognize that this may all sound like a whole lot of inside baseball to you, but please do stick with us, because I think you will quickly find that this narrow policy question about how to allocate housing resources actually touches on the very biggest question of all when it comes to the homelessness crisis. That is, the question of how to help people get out of homelessness and stay out for good. A lot to get to, so we are going to jump into it right now and welcome on our guests for the discussion today. First up, saying hello to Jennifer Loving, CEO of Destination Home. That's a homeless policy nonprofit based in San Jose that invests in affordable housing and other measures to help end homelessness. Jennifer Loving, welcome on the program. Thanks, Keith. Happy to be here. Also welcoming on Andrea Erton, CEO of Home First. That's a shelter operator that's worked with San Jose to open up a number of new interim housing sites over the past few years. Andrea Erton, welcome to you too. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you for having me. And the man himself, Matt Mahan, mayor of San Jose. We've got him on the line as well. Matt Mahan, very glad to have you. Hey, Keith. Thanks for bringing us together. Absolutely. So uh, let's start with you, Mayor Mahan, and your perspective on what it is that's working right now in San Jose's effort to end homelessness. So why are we seeing those numbers go down in your view? Well, Keith, I just want to start by acknowledging what you said, which is that I think we all agree that we need long-term and short-term strategies. We, we certainly need more affordable housing, and that's been a challenge for our region for decades. And sadly, I think it's likely to be a challenge for decades to come, as long as we have such a dynamic economy. But we have a homelessness crisis that really creates a moral imperative to move faster and more cost effectively to scale safe, managed indoor places for, for people to go. And, you know, there are other cities, typically cities with cold winters that have been forced by circumstances to scale up shelter. And, and, and while it may not be the perfect solution, it's a lot better than leaving people in tent encampments and, and vehicles out on our streets. And, and you just see that in the fatality numbers from last year. 246 people died in our county out in unmanaged encampments and vehicles. And I, I just feel that we have to act with greater urgency to get people into safe, managed environments faster. And the quick build communities and safe parking sites that we've stood up are, are doing just that and helping us to bring down the unsheltered rate. And it's not only that solution. It's, it's many different bets. But of course, we have limited dollars and always face trade-offs in the short run. So that's that's at least kind of my starting point in this conversation. Yeah, that uh, lays the table very well. So a good starting point. Uh, to bring listeners in just a little bit more to the uh, politics of all this in San Jose, uh, where the rubber meets the road in this debate is what to do with Measure E funding. Uh, Measure E funding is a funding that's designated to go toward housing for low-income people and the homeless. Uh, Mayor Mahan has been uh, pushing to reallocate some of that money to use instead to help fund his interim housing plans. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth in the budgeting process over the past many weeks. Uh, the city council is now getting ready for a vote on all this on uh, Tuesday, I believe. And I think where we've landed is a proposal from the mayor that would see the planned investment in affordable housing cut by about $23 million. Uh, for reference, the total Measure E budget is $137 million. So uh, there's been a lot of back and forth. This is uh, different from what we were hearing a few uh, weeks ago, but we're, we're not talking about a complete cutting out of uh, affordable housing. We're, we're talking about a trim down of about $23 million. Uh, let's bring Jennifer Loving, again with Destination Home, into the program. Jennifer, I know that you are among those who have been concerned about the mayor's spending proposal. Talk a little bit about why that trim down, uh, you would view it as a step back. 
You know, I, you know, first of all, the mayor is correct that, that it's both. Uh, 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 we need to do as much as we can on the short term, uh, uh, having safer options for people, but not really at the expense of the actual solutions for people that are both homeless now and honestly on the bubble. We have tens of thousands of people that are severely rent burdened in this community, families that are just one paycheck away and are tipping into homelessness at a rate every single month greater than the rate that people are leaving homelessness. And that is due almost entirely to the scarcity of deeply affordable housing. And so uh, we wholeheartedly in, in our community plan that, that our five-year community plan calls for strategies really to do all three things. We want to press as much as we can on preventing homelessness. We want to have as many uh, shelter and temporary options for people. And, and also the, the ultimate goal of having enough housing supply so that, that folks are not uh, uh, suffering. And you know, over the last few years, we've seen almost 10,000 people go into permanent housing another 15,000 people go into temporary housing or shelter and another 23,000 or so people get receive prevention support. And that kind of comprehensive strategic uh, push is why we're seeing some real gains. Uh, we would expect to see gains uh, in an in a effort that has had uh, a couple of ballot measures and an infusion of private money into the, into the community. And we've been really lucky historically to have an all hands on deck approach, cross sector, public private partnerships, uh, a bevy of nonprofits all rowing in the same direction. And, and so just to expand that answer a little bit, Jennifer Loving, I mean, when I hear you and um, other uh, homeless experts and advocates who are really concerned by any proposal that might take money away from investments in affordable housing. The sense I get uh, is that for, for for your side, the feeling is, you know, we've been down this road before. We've seen what happens when yeah. money is taken away and there's a bigger focus on shelter and it doesn't turn out the way that folks expect it to. So, Speak to that. Where where have you seen this lead before and why are you worried it might take us there again? You know, I'm old enough to have lived through a few of these cycles now. And when I first came into this work, shelters were the main go-to. And it was really pretty revolutionary in the 90s when the federal government realized that uh, a, a short-term uh, uh, intervention isn't supplanting the, the really, frankly, broken uh, systems that are not producing affordable housing at scale anywhere in the United States. And so there was really this move towards really pushing the goal of permanency as, as the overarching strategy. And in communities around the nation, including ours, we've seen an uptick. But the problem the problem has always been scale, meaning the political will, the funding, the resources, really in a lot of ways, the culprits, the federal government is the main culprit. Uh, we're once again looking at a not even an increase in our federal resources for homelessness. The state of California prior to Governor Newsom uh, uh, took away one of our most important housing tools through redevelopment and did not replace it. And so we've only had a, 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 a governor focused on homelessness statewide for the last couple of years. And we've only had some of this dedicated housing money in, in San Jose for the last couple of years too. And so when people say, oh, this takes too long or it's not, doesn't work. It's like, no, the system itself hasn't matured and scaled to meet the need. Uh, 
we have a 96% housing retention rate for folks that are in supportive housing. The problem is there's just simply not enough places for people to go. And so absolutely we should do more on the short term, but I feel like we should find other money and not take it away from the, the, the evidence-based uh, many times over, right? Solutions. It's kind of like, think about it like this, Keith. Uh, 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 somebody has cancer and the treatment is chemotherapy and chemotherapy, let's say is scarce. And so we have this great like pain management regimen and we want to offer that to people, but it's not necessarily curing the cancer. And so, so that's really what we're saying. Both are good. We don't want our, we don't want folks with cancer to be in pain and to be suffering all the time, but they're not going to get better. <laughs> they're not going to recover without the actual treatment. And, and I mean, it's in the word, the lack of a home is why we have so many people on the streets. All right. Well, real quick for anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Mancone. Today, we are talking about a housing dilemma facing San Jose and other Bay Area cities. The question of how much to spend on interim shelter space for the homeless versus how much to spend on affordable housing. Helping us unpack this debate, we're joined on the program now by Jennifer Loving, CEO of Destination Home. It's a homeless policy nonprofit based in San Jose. Also going to hear from Andrea Erden, CEO of Home First, a shelter operator. And we heard a little bit earlier from Matt Mahan, uh, mayor of San Jose. Let's uh, let's bring Andrea Erden into the conversation. And I want to bring some of those points that uh, we just heard to you, Andrea Erden. Basically, uh, so again, you have been helping the city bring online a lot of these new shelters over the past few uh, years, especially as we've gotten this big infusion of cash uh, as a result of the pandemic to help get people in off the street. So we, we, we just heard Jennifer Loving say that, you know, oftentimes because we do have this affordability crisis, this housing crisis, there is simply no permanent housing for people to go to once they're done in that interim housing place. Uh, I'm curious for your perspective, how big of a challenge has that been uh, over uh, how, how big of a challenge is it right now? I mean, is it is it very difficult to find placements for people as, as they move through your system, through your interim housing communities? Uh, Keith, it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult, as a matter of fact. So we end up warehousing people in our shelters for years. Hmm. And I'm not exaggerating. I get to know people because they're with us for years. We built the first emergency interim housing site with a modular individual units in January of 2020. Since then, we've built four in conjunction with the city of San Jose. And Home First actually started innovating this idea with the city of San Jose six years ago. Mm. So this has been a long time coming. We've been working on this for many years, trying to get this to happen. The sites are extremely successful when we have a pipeline, deeply affordable housing to place people in. We've actually had to stop the referrals coming to these sites because we're really slowing down. We've filled all of the affordable housing that's available to us. And so now the wait lists for these places are extreme and that's a challenge. So although I understand needing to have a deeper impact in one area, so wanting to cut funds in another. However, if we do that strategy, we will stop the pipeline from flowing and people will languish in sites that are meant to be interim. They will not go to the community in a permanent way, which is what we all want for our communities and for everybody in them. So I think we really, I have to agree with, you know, Jen Loving and the fact that she said we really need to look at 
other possible funding streams to borrow from so that we can continue to build the affordable housing, we can continue to do the emergency interim housing, we can work as a partnership to get people off the streets and to safety so that we're cleaning up neighborhoods for everybody who's living in them. All right, well, let's take that point to Mayor Mahan. So, uh, Mayor, we're hearing there this concern that when people are done with their stint in interim housing or when they would like to be done with their stint in interim housing, there's simply nowhere to put them. So if the proposal is to dramatically ramp up the amount of interim housing that the city has, uh, we're, we could be looking at, you know, some uh, blockages in the system ultimately. Uh, what do you make of that concern? Well, Keith, as, as I think we all agree, we need both in the long run. But I find it a little ironic to argue that people are languishing in interim housing when the alternative is that people are literally dying on our streets without access to services. And I, I think that the important point here is that we have to we have to triage with limited resources. You know, we have a crisis on our streets. I've gotten used to you know hearing politicians run for office by calling it a crisis and how we have to act with urgency. And yet we often get the status quo approach. And what I'm trying to offer is a, an actual trade-off that we're going to have to make if we want to end street homelessness. We're going to need more places for people to go. There are plenty of other cities forced by circumstances, typically harsh weather, that do not have the kinds of tent encampments at the scale that we have, not even close. We have over 70% of our homeless population languishing and dying on our streets. Last year, 246 people died. I also just want to push back a little bit on this notion of housing versus shelter. You know, historically, there was sort of this binary view that shelter were these, you know, terrible places. And many of them, many of them were, frankly, congregate spaces with bunk beds where people were jammed together and, and they were unsafe and people didn't feel comfortable there. And then housing on, on the other end of the spectrum. And, and what we're developing in San Jose is really a spectrum of solutions and, and an opportunity to triage and address the greatest need, the people who are literally dying out in tent encampments on our streets and in our creeks. And in, in those quick build interim communities, people get access to a private room with a door that locks. They have a private in-suite bathroom. They're not kicked out. Their bed doesn't just disappear if they, uh, you know, are, are unable to come home that night. They, there's, there's stability. There's services. And what we're finding is that while we certainly are constrained in terms of housing supply, for the total population of well over 1,000 people who have entered one of these sites in the last three years, over 70% remain housed today. Over 50% have graduated to permanent housing. And while, yes, many of them have ended up and will need to find placements in affordable and subsidized housing, we have achieved two things. One, some of those folks have been able to reconnect with family, have gotten jobs and been able to afford the rent, have relocated to another place they can afford. But even more importantly, for the 70% who remain housed, they have not returned to the horrific conditions on our streets today. And I just think we have a moral obligation to focus on the greatest human suffering and reduce it now. And it's not either or, but, you know, I, I haven't heard, and I'll, I'll kind of end on this point, but this notion around cost and finding the money somewhere else. I mean, first of all, the $23 million I'm talking about, just to put in perspective, 
the city has approved more than that, $37 million this year, just in cost overruns on a few of our affordable housing projects. So this is not a huge, unreasonable sum of money to ease the suffering of hundreds of people in our community. The other point is, despite the proposals and, and, and some of the um, pushback, I have yet to receive one proposal that tells us where else we would get $23 million from. No one has proposed cutting police officers or firefighters in our incredibly understaffed departments or closing libraries or, or stopping park maintenance and road paving. And, and unless you're willing to put one of those on the table at a very significant level, closing multiple libraries, laying off dozens of police officers and firefighters, there's really nowhere else to go within the city budget. So I just, you know, we're dealing with tough trade-offs and I know it's hard to have to make those kinds of decisions, but that's my job as mayor and I'm trying to balance the many needs that our community has. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Jennifer Loving, let me take up a part of the mayor's answer uh, back to you. So he's saying there that obviously we all want the housing crisis to be fixed. We would love to see many more homes get built, but that is expensive in its own right. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars for each new unit of uh, housing. We're talking about years and years and years to get them online. Uh, and being able to offer more people shelter, a place off the street, you know, it's uh, an improvement relative to a lot of people's situation on the street. Uh, what, what do you make of that uh, argument, Jennifer Loving? Yeah, I've heard the mayor say that, and I actually think it's it's uh, a little unfair because it's kind of supposing that we don't care about people that are on the streets or the people that are suffering. And the reality is uh, Andrea and I have given our lives to this cause. And so I care very much. And I've worked in every type of shelter or housing situation than street situation than one can imagine. And absolutely, of course. And so if if I were mayor, I might be thinking about using my community centers, using libraries. If we really wanted to end the suffering on the streets, there's a lot of facilities that could be opened and you could put a lot of people indoors 
in a relatively short amount of time. And I would say that we did that kind of thing during the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic. And you're saying that those options would uh, not require this uh, big funding push? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, th- that's exactly what we're doing. And it costs a tremendous amount of money. That's the whole cost is providing the services to folks and in interim solutions. That's exactly what we're what we're doing based on what we did during the pandemic. And the county pays for the services. That's not true. The county doesn't pay for the services at any of our interim sites. At the congregate shelters, they do. They pay for the. We we aren't. As we all agree, congregate shelters and expanding them is really not great for the folks who live there, which is why we've embraced this interim approach that gives people a private room with a private bathroom. And the county doesn't fund the services. I, I really appreciate the collaborative approach that that we have. But Uh, The reality is, even with a very coordinated and collaborative approach and pooling all of our resources, we're still leaving thousands of people on the streets and a couple hundred a year dying. So I think with the revenue stream that the city has for homelessness, which is Measure E, we have to decide, should we continue to spend 80 percent of it on long term solutions or should we rebalance and be more like 50 50 long term and short term just to address the immense human suffering? And I am saying to address the immense human suffering, uh, and sincerely, uh, you could look at the same levers that were pushed during the pandemic. Uh, the, The blue tent downtown, the community centers that were activated, places that could technically take, the rotunda has been brought up a number of times, places that could be activated relatively quickly if you are simply talking about the thing that you keep mentioning, which is people dying outside. So there's even shorter term measures that could happen than the year or two it might take to build some of these temporary non-congregate facilities, which I absolutely agree are better than a congregate option. But I'm answering the question about people dying outside today. There's more that we could do in the immediate if that was the number one goal. All right. Well, uh, a lot to unpack there. I actually uh, want to get Andrea Erton into the, back into the conversation again, uh, CEO of Home First. So I, I think one of the things that this, what we're talking about touches on right now is the question of exactly how many services are needed for somebody to successfully transition from the street to permanent housing, because uh, if, if we are talking about these very large, um, it, you know, opening up big spaces, the next question is, how will we get the services to those folks uh, to help them uh, and, and and their needs? So let's get Andrea Erton's perspective uh, on that question. I, I guess, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on here, but in, in you know, in, in a minute or, or two, help our listeners understand what goes into making these new shelter communities and making them successful from your point of view? So number one, they're a community, Keith. You nailed it with that word. Uh, What we've done is we've created private spaces uh, for people who have been, many of these folks have been chronically homeless. And the longer you've been homeless, the more trauma you've experienced, the harder it is for your brain and your body to learn how to self-regulate again because you're constantly in this state of hypervigilance. And so having a door that is all yours that you can shut with your own private bathroom, it goes a very long way. We find that people take about three to six months um, from going to a tent community to coming into an emergency interim housing community takes them about three to six months to really kind of self-regulate so they can be open to making better decisions, to relearning some of those skills that they used to have when they were housed, and to making positive decisions for themselves. We find that 49% of the people living at these emergency interim housing sites are able to go to permanent housing. We find that 6% of the people living in our congregate shelters, and I mean living, go to permanent housing. 
the number one difference between the two sites are services. The majority of our shelters, um, the county pays for, and they actually don't pay for supportive services to be provided to people in congregate shelters, which is a challenge. At the emergency interim housing sites, these people have 24 seven services. Workshops include communication, mediation training, yoga, finances, resume building. They have all of these opportunities, plus housing specialist searches. So somebody to help you search for a house, somebody to help you navigate the system and apply somebody to manage your medical care through case management, somebody to make sure that you've got your benefits. You now have an address so you can get the benefits that you're owed by the government. So these sites go a long way into stabilizing people and getting them ready for permanent housing and helping them navigate that process. All right. Well, I want to give closing thoughts uh, both to Mayor Mahan and to Jennifer Loving. Uh, first for you, Mayor Mahan, uh, closing thought. You've heard a lot of the arguments that have been raised so far in this conversation. Obviously, a lot of concern uh, out there whenever this pot of money uh, is moved around. Where, what do you think the best path is forward and what would be your final message to those who still have skepticism? Sure. Well, first, let me thank Jen and Andrea, and I, I do really appreciate the the work they do in our community and how they have dedicated themselves to, you know, supporting our homeless community, building affordable housing, and and have done tremendous work. I do. I have a lot of respect for uh, for their work and their perspective, and I, I think the reality is we we face difficult trade offs, and I, I wish we didn't face those trade offs. Uh, you know, my my concluding thought and what has led me to put forward a budget that, that does advocate for this shift in $23 million toward more immediate, urgent solutions to unsheltered homelessness to get people out of encampments faster for the very reasons that Andrea just outlined is that I think that that has to take precedent. That level of suffering, those impacts on the wider community have to be treated with urgency like the crisis that it is. And I am committed to working with Jen and Andrea and others to continue to chip away at our affordable housing deficit. But I also know from just looking at the data that just as our region has been unaffordable for decades, it's going to take us decades to build the housing that we need. We are talking about tens and tens of billions of dollars of investment. Right now, unfortunately, in our community, it takes about a million dollars of public subsidy and five years to build a unit of affordable housing. And we need to work harder to get down those costs and speed up those timelines. And there's a lot of good people working hard to do that. But that is the the reality today. And in the meantime, I'm just frankly unwilling to leave people languishing on the streets when we have a model that's working it's not free nothing is but these interim communities with a private room private bathroom and on-site services give people so much more dignity and give people pathways and hope and um, they're not perfect and we need they will need the affordable housing to move into but i think there's a moral imperative to meet that urgent need and put more of our resources there and just rebalance a bit that's really all i'm talking about we passed measure e very clearly and told the community that it would help us address homelessness and build affordable housing and and i want to stick with that it's just a question of what's the proportion of the dollars for short-term immediate solutions versus the more expensive and slower long-term solutions so uh you know the final point i guess i would just make is i'd love to encourage your listeners to get involved to weigh in i'm curious to hear their thoughts we have public comment we have a public hearing at 6 p.m on monday 
which is June 12th. And that's the final public hearing before the budget vote on Tuesday the 13th. So if you'd like to come down to City Hall on the 12th at 6 p.m. or log in via Zoom, we would love to hear your perspective as your elected representatives. And thank you again to Jen and Andrea and Keith to you for convening and, and facilitating this important conversation. All right. And closing thought to you as well, uh, Jennifer Loving, uh, you know, given everything that we've discussed here today, what would you want people to keep in mind as these difficult trade-offs are weighed in, uh, honestly, uh, city halls throughout the Bay Area? You know, I don't envy the the, the predicament that our elected officials are in because there's a, a cacophony of voices that want to see a visible reduction in people on the streets. And and that's because homelessness is a, is a community trauma for everyone. But but, but a visible reduction and putting folks somewhere where the homelessness is still not ended and we still have all of this work to do around affordable housing is not solving the problem. And so we have to be willing to understand what the root causes are for homelessness, what the solutions are, and the difference in the trade-offs of, of a, a cosmetic approach. And our job, I think, is to try to keep it as to diminish the politics as much as possible. And that's been hard this year. That's hard during an election cycle. That's hard during a budget crisis. And, and I think that it's, it, this has been a very rough season and, and it's especially hard when you see sort of these movements away from, from research-based approaches happening all across the state of California because, general, because the general public is tired of looking at homelessness. But frankly, people are really tired of being homeless. And uh, there is nothing like actually solving the problem. And we've seen it happen thousands and thousands and thousands of times where people move into a home of their own. They don't return to homelessness and we've actually solved it. And, and so we need to do more on the short term, but we need to always keep the North Star about addressing the root causes for why people become homeless in the first place. And I think the richest region in America can do better together and have more money to do all of that we need to do. All right. Well, we're going to let that be the closing thought for the program today because we are running out of time. Uh, and thank all of our guests now for joining us. Uh, we just heard right there from Jennifer Loving, CEO, once again, of Destination Home. Jennifer Loving, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Keith. And Mayor and, and Andrea, thanks for doing this together. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Also want to thank Andrea Erton, CEO of Home First. Andrea Erton, thanks to you as well. Thank you, Keith. This was a great conversation, and I appreciate Mayor Mahan and Jennifer Loving. It's a really great partnership that the city of San Jose has with its providers. Absolutely. And uh, one last big thank you to Mayor of San Jose, Matt Mahan. Matt Mahan, thanks to you as well. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Minconi. Be well. We'll talk again next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.